Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Gwen Holman, the director of both the University of Alaska Fairbanks Technology Transfer Office and the Alaska Center for Energy and Power, also known as ACEP. ACEP is an Applied Energy Research Program based at the University of Alaska at Fairbanks that focuses both on fossil and renewable slash alternative energy technologies. ACEP is a highly interdisciplinary program with over 30 affiliated faculty spanning a wide range of energy-related disciplines. Prior to joining the University of Alaska, Gwen served as the Vice President of New Technology at China Hot Springs Resort near Fairbanks. While at China, Gwen oversaw the construction of the first geothermal power plant in the state, in addition to numerous other innovation energy projects, ranging from hydrogen production to cooling a 10,000-foot square ice museum year-round using 150-degree Fahrenheit hot water. Gwen has been the recipient of several awards throughout her career, including the R&D 100 Award, Project of the Year from Power Engineering Magazine, and the Alaska Top 40 Under 40 Award. And with that impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Gwen. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. It's great to be here. Well, thanks again for taking part in the podcast. Um, I wanted to start things off, um, especially given where you're located. I think you must have a fascinating story. And so if you could share a little bit about your background, your journey to tech transfer, and ultimately how you ended up at the University of Alaska. That'd be great. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to give you a little little bit of background on myself. Um, It's a little bit of a long story. I moved to Alaska about 25 years ago, and I um, wanted to be a space physicist. That was my plan. I went to graduate school at the University of Alaska Fairbanks in space physics. Um, And I was also a dog musher, so I had sled dogs. And as part of that, I lived out in this remote cabin out in the woods with no electricity or power or anything like that. I had to haul my own water. I I used propane for for lights. Um, It was a pretty simple lifestyle. Um, But during my graduate studies, I was doing this upper atmospheric research. I was using this um, LIDAR system, which is basically a giant laser. And I was shooting that into the upper atmosphere and bouncing that off of ablated meteorite particles in the upper atmosphere to look at kind of upper atmospheric phenomena and using a ton of energy. And then I'd come home and I'd like read my, you know, technical peer-reviewed publications by oil lamp, right? And it was just such a real disconnect between my um, professional life and my personal life. And so I decided I really wanted to move into more applied um, science, where I could see more direct impacts from my research, um, and how that would benefit people um, in a a more immediate sort of sense. And so I actually had um, double majored in engineering and physics as an undergraduate. And so I um, 
went back into the engineering side and got interested in energy. Um, and so I um, went through kind of a variety of careers in private sector, working mostly as a design engineer, um, before having this really amazing opportunity as a young engineer to, to work um, on these projects at China Hot Springs, um, which is a small kind of mom and pop uh, sort of hot springs uh, operation outside of Fairbanks. It's off the electric grid. That's what's interesting about Alaska is that we don't have a continuous electric grid. And so this um, location didn't have access to the, uh, the typical you know, uh, electric grid um, that we would otherwise maybe rely on. And so it was based off of diesel power and the energy costs were extremely high there. And so um, I was basically put in charge of making the resort as um, self-sufficient as possible in terms of um, uh, electricity, heat, transportation, and food also. And so it was just this fantastic opportunity to really um, uh, push the envelope a little bit because those things had never been done in the ways that needed to happen out there because we had very low um, temperature. We didn't have a lot of heat there. So we had to take advantage of the resources that we had at our disposal. And um, it was a chance to get pretty involved with some very innovative projects there. You mentioned a few of the awards um, that, that that particular project actually got. In the end, we the big one was that we, we did generate um, power from that resource and it's still the lowest operating geothermal power plant anywhere in the world today. Um, so that was a pretty neat opportunity. And, and then at age 34, I actually was inducted um, into the Alaska Innovators Hall of Fame based on sort of the experience and the projects um, that I'd had there. Um, but I've always been a big supporter of the university as having sort of this critical role in supporting um, states, um, our economy, um, and the private sector. And so um, I uh, pitched to the university that I would start this energy research program, and um, they uh, took me up on it. Oh, so wow. I started the Alaska Center for Energy and Power, ASAP, about 12 years ago um, with the idea of figuring out how to leverage resources from the university specifically to support um, private sector in terms of the sort of unique energy needs we have here in Alaska. So that's that's kind of how I got to the university. Um, you know, in terms of getting into tech transfer, I've always been interested in how the university can best support private sector um, and work with private sector. And so when the opportunity came up to take on uh, a role with the tech transfer office, um, I, I, uh, was encouraged to apply for that position. <laughs> and I didn't have much specific um, background or knowledge, but the um, president and the chancellor, I think, had a lot of confidence in my ability to think creatively and work effectively with the private sector. And so it's been a really fun and amazing opportunity. So that's a little background. So you do have a dual appointment with both. So you're, you've got a lot going on, I'm assuming then. Yeah, yeah. So, so my appointment with our our tech commercialization office, um, which is the way we prefer we prefer to call it, um, is a quarter time appointment. We do have a number of you know other full time staff, but um, that leadership role was a quarter time appointment. Recognizing that was about the maximum amount of time I could put into it, I'm actually going to be stepping down from the leadership role, and my um, deputy director is fitting into that 
position is taking over my job. Um, I've kind of worked my way out of out of a job, maybe, which is fantastic. Uh, so he'll be taking over July 1st. And he would like me to continue to be part of the office, but I won't have that kind of leadership responsibility anymore. So I feel really good. We've made a ton of progress with the office over the past three years while I've been in this um, position. And I have complete confidence in him to sort of continue the trajectory of growth that we've sort of um, started. So yeah. That's great. It must be interesting given your location. I mean, I've been to Alaska. I've I've been up to Denali, not as far as Fairbanks, and you're isolated. And compared to a lot of other universities in the lower 48, you must have some unique challenges being kind of isolated where you are, I would assume. And But at the same time, maybe you have some unique opportunities that maybe other universities in the lower 48 don't have. Um, have you run into both of those? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that's ironic about Alaska is that, you know, geographically, it's a very large place. But when you look at population, it's very, very small. And so you look at um, Fairbanks is the second largest city in in Alaska, um, which is where we are based. And there's 35,000 residents in Fairbanks proper, you know, in the larger kind of area, there's maybe 90,000 residents in our in our borough or our county, you know, but it's not a very big place. And um, and the whole state, you know, we have about 700,000 um, residents. And so um, our university, we have um, under 7,000 students, right? So it's a very small university, but we do um, a pretty large amount of research compared to our size. You know, we're, I think I just actually looked this up. We're ranked by the National Center for Science and Engineering Statistics as the 130. 131 in the country in terms of um, the total R&D expenditures that we do, which is somewhere around 150 million a year and is above, you know, like the University of Wyoming or the University of Idaho or the University of Maine or the University of Oregon, you know, these other kind of sort of peer states, you know. And so we do um, quite a lot of research. We also are number one globally in terms of Arctic research publications. Um, I think that the fact that we're small can be a really, it, it can be hard because we're pretty far away from a lot of other things that are going on. And that, um, it hurts us because I think that we don't have this real innovation or entrepreneurial culture here in this state or at our university. And that's a big part of what we've been trying to actually grow up here um, over the last few years, not just through our efforts at the university, but at the state level, because we have um, kind of a, like a more sort of extractive indus- industry sort of base here in Alaska. You know, we have a lot of oil and gas fishing. Um, government is a big part of our economy up here. And there's a lot less in terms of small businesses and innovation that has traditionally been happening up here in Alaska. Although I want to say that Alaskans are some of the most innovative people I know, because when you are so far away from the nearest hardware store or you know whatever else, you have to figure out how to solve problems at the local level. And so Alaskans are innovative. We just don't convert that into entrepreneurs you know, being entrepreneurs necessarily. Yeah. So I would imagine trying to form startups, which is always something that, you know, there's pressure on universities and tech transfer offices to do to help create jobs in the local community and things like that would probably be difficult. And then just trying to find VC funding and funding for those startups must be a challenge. I know I'm based in Illinois and we have trouble with VCs because we're in, you know, the middle coast as someone referred to it the other day versus, you know, the West Coast or the East Coast. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And I think Alaska, just kind of generally, we don't have um, very many like kind of homegrown multimillionaires up here, you know, and so there just isn't that 
um, really large group of potential venture capitalists um, up here in the state. Although I have to say there is a very active small group of people that are very supportive of the university and of, you know, startup businesses in the state. So, so one thing about that's nice about a small place like this is that we say that we have maybe a half a degree of separation from anyone else that's been here for any length of time. Like everybody knows who everybody everybody is, is, which and, and sometimes that can be bad, but actually I find that in general in Alaska that we've really used that to our advantage. Like there's there's a real desire. There's, there's not enough people. There's too much work to do. We all want to be pulling in the same direction. If somebody else wants to take something on, go for it because that frees me up to do, you know, a different, a different part of, you know, what we think is important in terms of moving the state forward. And so um, I I think that um, that's really one big advantage here we have, but we just are very connected, even though we're far apart geographically all across the state, you know? Yeah. So speaking of your office, and it sounds like you guys have grown a fair amount in the last few years. um, Can you talk a little bit about how your office is structured, how many people you have and you know, kind of the different, it sounds like you're all doing, you must have different hats that you wear, just again, given what you just said about not enough people and too much to do. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, And, and I, I mean, I, I, I did do a lot of restructuring of the office when I started this um, job, you know, three years ago. Um, Originally, it, it very much, much was kind of centered around sort of those traditional kind of tech commercialization functions, which we still do, obviously, which is like intake and evaluation of invention disclosures, you know, kind of an initial market assessment, uh, deciding whether to proceed or how to move forward with a a particular idea or invention, Um, looking at licensing, patenting, eventually negotiating licenses, kind of the full, you know, pipeline there. Um, But what we sort of realized or what I was excited about wasn't just those kinds of traditional functions but really integrating kind of an innovation hub within our office. And so that was one of the big things that, that I took on is developing um, the Center for Innovation, Commercialization, and Entrepreneurship, Center Ice. Um, Alaska has a big hockey sort of, that's our state that's sport kind of thing, name. you know? So, great yeah, name. Yeah, so Center Ice, yeah. And so that's our innovation hub, and that was kind of my baby. And um, we have been really successful with that in terms of attracting external funding for that. Um, so. Uh, that's really where the bulk of probably our um, employees reside. We have a total of 10 employees. Only three are full-time, and that includes basically those that are direct de- dedicated directly to that tech commercialization component. Um, we have done a lot of pretty interesting and innovative things in terms of the employees we have. One that I feel really good about um, is we have an ambassador program. Um, when I was interested in taking on this position, but I I didn't have a lot of experience. Um, I realized there was other um, faculty members across the university system that had an interest in this. And um, though I was selected for this position, I wanted to take advantage of the the people that were excited and interested in participating in this space. And so um, we hired uh, faculty in several different departments or colleges that we thought had some real potential as ambassadors. And so they're part of the um, tech commercialization office team. Um, but they are uh, really there as kinds of our like representatives and promoting, you know, what the office does and and being like kind of the direct link for um, innovators in colleges and in institutes um, to uh, really um, work with the office and kind of think through some of their ideas at a pretty early stage. Uh, these these gentlemen actually 
they are not necessarily all gentlemen, but in this case, right now they are. <laughs> um, <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but um, but yeah, uh, they they tend to um, look at new proposals that have been uh, funded in these departments, and then have initial conversations with those funded uh, um, principal investigators to kind of work through their project and see if there might be some future opportunity for innovation that a year or two down the road, we really want to be kind of thinking about as sort of an ancillary sort of outcome of their research project and really helping them think through those kinds of different aspects because they're not kind of traditionally geared to thinking like that. That's a really cool idea, a really, really cool idea. And and you get them thinking further down the road and bigger picture probably, which is an awesome, that sounds like a really great program to have. That's very innovative. I, I don't think I've heard of too many other universities that do something like that. Thanks. No, I, I, I totally agree. I, and I think, you know, through that, those sorts of like, kind of higher touch um, sorts of uh, programs, I'm really hoping, especially for small universities, we can't count on the volume of activity that a larger school might, right? We, I mean, I know one of your questions is how many inventions disclosures that we have in a year, and we typically process about 30. You know, it is a tiny, tiny. number, yeah. but if but if we can get 30 really good quality invention disclosures where we've been working with those um, those faculty members or those staff members for a long period of time to sort of hone their technology or their ideas in a way that are more marketable and more commercializable at the at the at the end of that process, then I think that a small university can kind of have an outsized impact um, with that sort of higher touch ratio, you exactly. know, between researchers and the office. Yeah. Now, are your disclosures when they come in? Are they across a variety of different areas? Are they they engineering, energy, life science? Um, do you have a mix, or do they kind of fall into one type of area, so to speak? Yeah, no, I, I mean, they are a bit of a mix. We do not have a medical school. So that's, you know, one one thing that, um, but we do actually get a lot in the biomedical space, um, engineering, uh, remote sensing. One thing that for us is also kind of difficult sometimes is a lot of our research is related to the Arctic. And so um, a lot of our uh, innovations are at least initially um, based on some sort of research that's done relative to the Arctic. You know, I I can give like one particular example. Um, one of our companies that was recently a spinoff company from a, a woman, um, Kelly Drew, she's the faculty member um, in our Institute of Arctic Biology. And she's been working on um, looking at hibernation and ground squirrels over a couple of decades. And so she's been really interested in this question of how these Arctic ground squirrels how they hibernate, like how do they shut off their metabolic clock to just let their body temperature drop, right? And so she's actually um, developed kind of a therapeutic, basically a a drug composition that sort of aims to uh, modulate metabolic activity and mostly control shivering by sort of mimicking hibernation. And so this is our latest company. It's called Be Cool. And it's a really interesting um, thing because, you know, if you can get your body to stop fighting, um, you know, if if we want to drop your body temperature to protect your, you know, in certain sorts of medical, acute medical sorts of incidents, where especially where you have interruption of oxygen and blood flow to the brain and you can drop body temperature to kind of protect the brain, um, 
and you can pr- make the body stop fighting you on that by shivering and trying to warm back up, it can be a pretty big, um, it, it can be pretty a pretty big difference potentially in outcomes. And she's been doing this research quite a bit on, you know, mouse models and, and things like that, small animal models. But um, that's pretty exciting, but it's all based on research that started with an Arctic phenomena. And that's the case for a lot of our, our invention disclosures. Who would have ever thought something from research on Arctic squirrels would translate <laughs> right. into essentially a drug a drug startup. That's pretty fascinating. So how about licensing some of those inventions? Um, it, uh, do you have an active licensing portfolio? I mean, it must be a little challenging, again, given the geography, the location, sometimes to, to find potential licensees, or, or is it not a problem just given some of the specialization uh, that your research falls into? Yeah. And I mean, this is part of the reason why we're trying to be a little bit more hands-on. We'll talk a little bit about industry partnerships later on too, but but being a little bit more targeted to try to tweak our research in ways that um, are more appropriate to a broader potential commercial audience. You know, I think one of our challenges is that um, because a lot of our technologies are pretty niche, we've tended to end up um, spinning off companies, which in the long run, we don't necessarily view as the optimal strategy because some of our best researchers, whether that's Kelly Drew or others, you know, they, it would be great if they stayed at the university and worked on the next, their next big idea, right? Instead of focusing on a, a startup company. So our ideal scenario is to license to an existing company, but we've had our, our most of our best, um, licenses have been with startup companies that have come from the university and then moved outside the university and are continuing to pursue their um, their technology um, through a startup. And you mentioned corporate partners, and that, in fact, is actually my next question about <laughs> corporate partners and, and the role they play, because in some universities, you know, there's tremendous cooperation and interaction between the university and a corporate partner. How about, uh, again, given the limits of geography, how about up, up at the University of Alaska Fairbanks? Yeah, every time that I go and meet with um, our chancellor, Dan White, um, who is very interested in this um, space, he uh, he reminds me about Washington State University and the partnership with Schweitzer Engineering Lab, which is like right across the street. And he says, you see that field across the street, Gwen? That's what I want. For, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I want for our universities. No pressure, so. no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure, no pressure. Yeah, I, I think, um, again, like, Alaska is interesting because a lot of our larger companies in the state have generally been um, uh, more kind of multinational companies that are associated with extractive industries, you know, so um, there's been generally the partnership with the university has been around philanthropic contributions of some sort. Um, We are trying to really change that where we are working more with smaller companies and really trying to support um, small private sector businesses in the state that are really um, kind of born and bred here or have chosen to relocate to the state. Um, And so one of the companies that we've been working with quite a lot is uh, Launch Alaska. It's not a company, actually. It's a it's a it's a incubator. And they're based in Anchorage, um, and they have a pretty pretty wide portfolio of companies that they work with. And so, um, because we have these close connections and partnerships, the University of Alaska Fairbanks is essentially the only real research um, institute in Alaska. I, w- I want to be a little careful because yeah. UAA University of Alaska Anchorage also does some research, but certainly the University of Alaska 
uh, writ large is the only game in town when it comes to research competency. And so we want to be supporting these small startup innovative companies as much as possible. So we have a, a, a partnership with Launch Alaska, and it's been funded, um, interestingly, through the Office of Naval Research, which has really been investing in developing like an entire innovation pipeline in the state of Alaska and connecting us through the Naval X program to um, both their their hubs in other places, their other university partners, and also these kind of naval X um, accelerators that they have. So, and there's these tech bridges that they've developed. So, it's actually been this really exciting way for us to be able to connect with things that are going on all over the country and um, act quickly and nimbly to kind of address immediate needs. That's amazing. Um, you've mentioned a couple success stories already out of your office. Do you have any other ones you you care to share with us? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's it's so much fun to actually talk about the technology, right? Yeah, I'm not. Is. I'm a, I'm a scientist. I don't want to talk about the business side of things. <laughs> That's what's so cool. Again, I, I'm still kind of mesmerized about the Arctic squirrel one. That's pretty neat. It's yeah. That's what's right. so cool about tech transfer. Yeah, I can give you a couple other examples. One, um, just this month, um, one of our spinoff companies, um, which was founded by actually some mechanical engineering students uh, from UAF and also University of Washington, um, founded a company called Akagwa, and they just um, were the grand prize winner of the Alaska Airlines Environmental Innovation Challenge earlier this month, which is really exciting for us. Um, but basically, it's this bolt-on water treatment platform that this this kind of destroys water contaminants, especially kind of toxic and hard to treat like PFAS chemicals and things like that. And this is pretty important um, in Alaska because we have real issues in rural places with water treatment um, in, in ways that can use, you know, small kind of portable sorts of systems. And that's sort of what this, this company was sort of based around. And um, their, their, you know, technology, we've patented through the university. And it's pretty exciting to see them getting some national attention um, for what they're doing. So that was just this month. That's really neat. Um, yeah. And I would imagine that might even have some camping implications. There's so many applications possible with that technology. Yeah, there really is. Yeah. And another example is, um, you know, we've been, uh, have have a fairly um, extensive research program um, working with NASA in Alaska, at, and it's pretty multifaceted. Um, and so one, one area that we've worked with them on is sort of looking at how, a wheel that would be in a rover for a Mars rover, a lunar rover interacts with Martian soils because the last thing that you want to do is get a vehicle like that stuck, right, in the sand on the moon or on Mars, you know. And so we've actually got a researcher who developed a company around a software that we've developed that is um, based on sort of looking at discrete element modeling. It's this very powerful tool where they're basically modeling every individual particle, sand particle, or some other, you know, kind of particle, and looking at how they interact, the adhesion um, kind of characteristics between those particles, and being able to very accurately model interactions between particles and between solids and, and particles. And so this is a software-based um, product, but they have um, about six employees now. It's based in Alaska, and they're doing really well. And it's based sort of on this, uh, initially it was designed for NASA, but now they're really working pretty much uh, across a broad spectrum of different industries um, to apply this sort of uh, modeling technique that they've developed. 
That's really cool too. I mean, who would have thought, you know, to develop software to help prevent a, a lunar rover from getting stuck on another planet. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, how about some of your challenges, your biggest challenges in your office? What would you, what would you say those are? Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, we are, we always, <laughs> funding is always a challenge. I, I, uh, I, I wonder if you will ever hear somebody say that that is not an issue. Um, you always can use some more funding than, than what you have. In our case, that has really been um, a pretty significant issue for us. We've had some um, challenges at the state level in terms of university funding um, that have made things particularly difficult for the university. But I think our biggest challenge is really this issue about how do you get researchers that are sort of, you know, really thinking about sort of more public good and, and really wanting to publish their research and, you know, put chins, their ideas out to the world. How do you get them to think about um, commercialization of those technologies and really like demonstrate to them that commercializing technology is often one of the best and most practical ways to get that invention, that idea into society, you know, into people's hands where they can actually use that. So sort of changing that mindset, mindset. has been the biggest hurdle that we've been working to overcome. And that's why we focus more on the programming side, like developing the Center ICE um, Innovation Hub and really working on kind of changing the mindset of how we um, think about our research at the university. And I would think some of the ambassadors that you have probably would help with that and have been very helpful in changing that kind of mindset too. I think that's where that's a really, again, a really great idea. Well, when you have faculty members talking to other faculty members, the conversation is different than when you're talking to, say, a patent attorney, right? It's just not the same conversation. And so that's why I think these peer interactions are so critical and something that we've really been trying to foster. Yeah, we're not really very popular to talk to, to be very <laughs> honest. Um, what about women inventors and entrepreneurs? Um, do you guys have any special programs or anything you do up there? I mean, I, I, I as I mentioned before, I've been to Alaska and, and I know the, the demographics between men and women up there. And, and you know, it's a challenge in a, a regular university setting, um, trying to get more women entrepreneurs and inventors. How, how about up at the University of Alaska? You know, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because you're right in terms of the demographics, um, there, there are more men than women in Alaska. Um, <laughs> but, but one of our sayings up here, I'll, I'll risk being a little bit uh, maybe inappropriate here, but, but one of our sayings is that um, the, the odds are good, but the goods are odd. <laughs> I've been to Alaska, as I mentioned several times, and yeah. I've heard that, that phrase uh, multiple, on multiple occasions. So the way I'll uh, interpret that, though, for the audience is um, basically there's amazing women up in Alaska. There are strong women. There are uh, incredible women up here that are doing amazing things. And I'll use the example from the Alaska Center for Energy and Power. We just did. We just looked around the other day. This is an engineering program that's primarily electrical engineering based. And it is the proportion of women is about 70% in terms of researchers in That's our awesome. program. And, and we've had, you know, other people from around the country really comment on the very high proportion of women researchers that we have in these often male dominated fields. Our vice chancellor for research is a woman. Um, I'm a woman as directing the, you know, tech commercialization office and leading this major research program. Um, so, you know, we don't really actually 
have that much of a challenge, you know, for women innovators, women faculty members, um, they are interested, involved, engaged. And I don't, I, I, as a woman, do not feel that we're like disadvantaged in some way because there's so many um, role models for us in terms of um, being active in this space in the state. So that's one thing that I really like about Alaska. And I think it might go back, some of it might go back to what you said earlier about, you know, it's a big state, not a lot of people. Um, your towns are small, so you're going to have to figure stuff out on your own and um, go from there. And so that kind of naturally requires you to to be strong and, you know, be creative and be independent to some extent. And it, it sounds like you have a lot of those types of women up there. Yep. How about Autumn? Um, what's your view on the role of Autumn and other organizations? Um, do you feel they provide value for your office, uh, especially given where you're at? Um, I'm assuming it's cannot always be easy to travel at certain times of the year. It may not be um, possible depending on uh, the weather situation. So um, what's your view on Autumn and, and the value they provide to universities? Yeah, we really feel like they provide a lot of a real value. Um, they provide, you know, great training opportunities. But for us, a big thing is networking, you know, for us to be able to network with other um, tech commercialization offices, we still view ourselves on sort of that startup phase ourselves. You know, we actually haven't been actively working toward tech commercialization at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, I think for more than seven years, you know, and so we're still kind of a, a young um, organization, we have a lot uh, to learn from our other peers. And so Autumn is really our primary sort of mechanism for making those connections with other universities and kind of learning best practices, you know, at the at the national and regional level. And so we've really appreciated what they contribute. Yeah, it was a really a bummer this year about Autumn National. Um, I was looking forward, one, to San Diego coming from Chicago. I'm sure you guys were looking forward to San Diego coming from Fairbanks. But um, yeah, the networking and the fact that it's grown to an organization where people come from all around the world uh, and just getting those insights, it's really pretty amazing. And it's been amazing for me. I've been a member for over 20 years just to watch the incredible growth in the organization as well. How about things like credentialing? Do you feel that's, is that important for your office or something that you think makes a difference or, or not really? I see people kind of go both ways on this. Yeah, you know, it's not something that we've focused on up until now, but uh, I did just have a conversation with um, our patent attorney, our, our deputy director on this, that's going to be stepping into my role here soon. And he actually said, you know, we ought to really rethink that. Um, you know, he hasn't really felt that we're necessarily a sophisticated enough tech commercialization office, so we haven't focused on it so far. But on the other hand, that's essentially just another way to provide training opportunity. Um and really kind of continue to learn and grow in this space. So um, so we decided that we were going to take another look at that um, for the future. Yeah, it seems to be growing in interest. And uh, I hear some universities say it doesn't really make a difference to them, to their office and other universities say, oh, absolutely. And I feel uh, there is quite a bit of value in it. So it, it's very interesting to hear people's opinions on it. So Gwen, I always like to close the podcast about asking the the person I'm talking with about if they could have three wishes or if you don't have three, um, one or two wishes for your office and you had a genie in a bottle, let's say, what what would you wish for? 
Wow. That's, are you, is that like, is that real? Are you, are you the genie that I can just, you know, kind of. <laughs> I, I wish I uh, had a genie in a bottle. Cause right now if I had a genie in a bottle, I would get rid of something called COVID-19. Um, but uh, let's, let's assume we could get a genie in a bottle for you. Right. You know, one, actually, I just, before I, before I answer your question, I want to make one point about the COVID-19 um, epidemic and, or pandemic. And uh, just, just kind of, pose this question to you and other tech commercialization offices, we've actually noticed that we've had a significant uptick in terms of um, ideas that are being generated through the specific kind of community identified needs related to COVID-19. And it's been actually a really fun part of um, being part of this process at the university. In fact, in a half hour here, I have to start a call um, with our research team across the entire university where we're working on very specific um, inventions and processes that can support our local healthcare providers, first responders, firefighters um, in some of their needs specific to COVID-19. And that's actually created a, a huge uptick in the number and the, in the kind of activity that we've seen in our office. And a lot of that is with people who have never participated in um, kind of the in invention disclosure sort of process previously. And so I'm actually pretty excited about this being, you know, kind of a bit of like making um, lemonade out of lemons, right? That that it's a terrible um, situation that our country is in and that the world is, is facing right now. But we are kind of seeing people step up to the plate and think about ways that their research could potentially um, uh, be used to sort of move us past this epidemic and, and find some solutions to the kinds of things that are, are um, facing our society today. Yeah, I'll just answer that by saying I've, I've been talking to doing a lot of these podcasts since we all kind of went into shelter in place for the last two months. And I can say oh, with respect to the various people I've talked to, they have noticed something very similar. Um, that's that's number one, uh, an uptick in disclosures and invention uh, filings and and things like that, all mostly directed to COVID, um, which isn't a big surprise. And I think the second thing I've noticed is a tremendous cooperation. I mean, the cooperation was always there, but tremendous cooperation between universities and the private sector to come up with solutions and work together cooperatively to to find whether it's printing masks or diagnostic tests or a vaccine or a, a treatment, some type of treatment to work together to, to try and solve this pandemic as quickly as possible. So it's really been fascinating to me to watch. Yeah, I'm I, I, I'm going to be interested to see like a, a little bit of a reflection back, you know, once this is all over, you know, in terms of like what what the actual impact was and like how we can kind of keep that momentum going, at least um, in the commercialization space. So, okay. So, but to answer your question, um, you know, it's pretty difficult for me to separate a vision for the future for the, for the university from um, my vision for the future for the state of Alaska um, as a whole, because I sort of view them as pretty, pretty symbiotic. Um, we've, we have some significant challenges up here in regard to budget. Um, there's some real tensions politically. A lot of the tensions are playing out at the national level are basically playing out in a state form here in Alaska. You know, that question about what is the role of the university? Um, how should we fund education? You know, there's a lot of questions about that going on up here. And that's going to be kind of the underlying uh, questions 
writ on top of the fact that we're going to have a fairly major you know, budget uh, shortfall because we rely so much on oil and gas revenue in the state. And so there's going to be some, I think, tough times ahead for the university and for the state. And that's really a chance for us to sort of, I think, reinvent ourselves and think a little bit about what we want to be when we grow up, when we're not just, you know, I mean, Alaska became a state in 1960, right? I mean, we're a pretty young state. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think, um, Alaska is a pretty amazing place to live. You know, it is, um, if you want to social distance <laughs> or you have to, Alaska is not a bad place to do that. You know, um, we have amazing uh, uh, natural resources here. It's beautiful. It's a great state, wonderful people. And I would love to see us, you know, see more um, innovative businesses move to Alaska. I'd love to see us be like a new Silicon Valley up here, you know, especially as we're starting to see that um, people can work remotely and, and can maybe kind of locate their business wherever they want to and still participate in sort of a global economy. I think that um, Alaska could play a really important role in that because this is a, a fantastic lifestyle place to live, you know? Um, so for me, that's that's important. As part of that, I'd really like to see the university like very much um, working hand in hand with industry so that we're not just doing work that our researchers are um, coming up with, but that we're really like working with industry to kind of move their ideas forward in ways that kind of benefits the state as a whole. And, you know, mostly for me, you know, I have three young children and they love Alaska. Um, and I want them to be able to have jobs and careers here uh, in Alaska that connect them to sort of a broader global economy. And that involves like innovative and interesting, you know, new ideas and concepts. That's part of kind of our, our global future. So that's sort of like what my dream for this state is. And like I said before, the university is the only game in town when it comes to real research competency in the state. And so um, without the university being at the table and a driver in that sort of vision for the future of Alaska, we can never get there. And that's a big part of what I'm hoping um, through the university that we can accomplish in this state. Well, that's great. And and I hope I can find that genie in the bottle for you because that, that, that really would be great. It, it's a great answer. And, and hopefully... Given the impending budget shortfalls, which I know a lot of universities are fa facing here in view of the pandemic, um, you'll be able to reinvent yourself and, and find new ways to um, help not only the university, the local economy, but the state as well. So, Gwen, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Absolutely. Um, probably the best way is for them to send me an email at gwen.holdman, and my last name has two N's on the end of it, at alaska.edu. Great. Thanks so much again, Gwen. It's been a real pleasure to have this opportunity to talk to you today. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, 
Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.